0: Welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Cordera. We get technology leaders together to discuss what's happening in our world. Our discussions are always fun, lighthearted, and frankly opinionated. But hopefully it gives you a sense of what matters, what to pay attention to, and what to ignore. Today, I want to talk about the edge. There has been a mind shift from anything and everything should go to the cloud to one that's Let's use the cloud for what it's good for and other things when it makes sense. Edge computing generally, though, has increasingly become a priority for a growing number of organizations. According to IDC, for example, worldwide enterprise and service provider spending on the edge hardware, software and services is expected to hit $176 billion in 2022. Representing a 14.8% increase over 2021, and that spending is expected to continue to accelerate, approaching 275 billion by 2025. Similarly, the Linux Foundation, the Edge arm of the Linux Foundation, expects Edge spending to increase to about 800 billion by 2028. Fundamentally, today, Jason, I want to get your perspective on this transition back to the Edge. From my perspective, when I started my career, everything was in these data centers. Everything was on-prem, and I lived that world. I lived this world where we'd literally order hard drives and then burn them in, that is to try and break them. And the ones that survived that infant mortality curve, that bathtub curve, we'd leave in the machines. The ones that that failed, we'd pull back out, and that was a big part of what our team did. Like This was a big deal. People are on call 24-7. The cloud came along, and there was this big reluctance. This was roughly the time that Microsoft bought Yammer, actually. And there were a lot of conversations about, like, yeah, Microsoft, I get that you have this cloud thing, but frankly, you're never going to be able to do it as well as I can. I just don't trust you. You're not as secure as me. And Microsoft said, actually, we're going to be able to do it way better than you. We have economies of scale. We have people who are dedicated to this. We can pay them more. We can focus on it more. And it's not one person who's on call. We have people who are staffed full-time because it's not just you, it's all of our customers. And so everybody moved to the cloud. And I think a lot of our clients actually have either moved to the cloud or the laggards in the space are moving right now. The point here is that I think, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, that this is going to change. So just to get started, maybe, Jason, you can help just clarify real quick. Let's get terminology right. Edge. What does this mean?
1: Well, that's part of the... The confusion edge can be in a lot of things right and so we we tend to think of it in a, four buckets so we have things that move into the data center whether that's your own data center or cloud data center they're centralized somewhere in a building with a locked door and you know lots of cooling and again that's where a lot of systems have moved over the last let's say two decades you know before that we had, we had started things were always in the mainframe. They'd moved out to banks, and other thing with AS400 other similar platforms and then we realized nope, we need to move them into the data center and we've been been doing that over a long time. But I think there's the pendulum is swinging back now out to the edge and so we do see things moving back into what we would call the retail edge or you know the business edge where you have a bank, you have a, a retail store, a grocery store, a restaurant, and and there needs to be some compute local there. That's you know one thing that people might refer to as edge. There's also what we would refer to as the data center edge or the network edge, where you have Akamai, Cloudflare, other things like that, where you can push compute out into the network. The same thing exists for the cell phone networks, right? There are you know, Amazon Wavelength, these other things where they're, you can push things out to the edge of the cell network that really run like in the tower or very close to the phone. And then there are things running on local devices, right? Whether that be cell phone, smartwatches, or even cars, tractors, other devices like that, that are doing compute power. And we have started pushing things back out to all of those places and for various different reasons. And But they have a lot of advantages.
0: Okay, before we get there, let me just let me make sure I got it right. We started off with mainframes, and those lived in somebody's building. I mean, actually, our offices right. here in Dallas actually have a data center in them, right? Yes. And we used to have the servers on them and client data. And I don't, not anymore, to be very clear. We don't do any of that anymore. But historically, that, that's what would happen. We'd actually develop in those environments, right? Then the cloud providers came along and said, hey, you're already managing these things, but we get economies of scale, to the point I heard a great anecdote, actually, the other day when azure deploys these server farms effectively they're just in containers and they're totally sealed they're not even serviceable by humans and when something fails in it they just automatically bypass it they ignore that thing and when enough things fail in it they just replace the whole container like that's how, that's the model that they're in now they get such economies of scale by doing that so they said we can do that cheaper and better and safer and faster Therefore, you don't do that, and this is what led to a lot of the startups because you don't need to uh, send up this whole infrastructure, millions of dollars of capex, right? Your point now is like, okay, so now everybody's moved some of that core function to the cloud providers, and you called that the the cloud data center. What do you, what do you call that edge?
1: Well, you know, I think the cloud is a you know is very similar to just your own data center, although some clouds and other providers like Akamai, Cloudflare provide functionality at the edge of the data center or out at the edge of the network.
0: Okay. So this is where I want to go to then. So you have this core thing. This is like the your EC2 instance that lives in some AWS region, for example, like the West or the East. But then to your point, that might be too slow. So if you're streaming video, if you want to store documents, whatever, you want that to be faster. And so then you tap into, I think what you call the service provider edge. Is that right? Which is like the Akamai's of the world or no? Sure. Okay. And so there you would say, okay, great, Akamai, you have more data centers distributed there more geographically, equally, in some sense, uniformly. So I want to load that data directly there. I want to load that file there. And that gives you that latency question. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then the last bit you said is in some cases, even that might be too slow, or you might not want to port all the data for privacy or security. And so there are still devices, whether it be your Apple TV or your iPad or your iPhone, that you might actually just store it locally on on the actual client device as well.
1: That's right. But there's also a- another, I-, I think, aspect, and that's the, you know, what we used to see is the server under the desk, right? Okay. And, and And, you know, we've called that the retail edge because it's generally retail providers that need that, where it's not, you know, a small... It's not a function within the network that's providing content or, or compute mm. or a small device it's actually a fairly large and robust set of services to run like a, a retail provider or a restaurant or something like that got it so you're
0: saying i missed one that i got out now which is to say like if you're a consumer it's your iphone but if you're a restaurant like a McDonald's or something you have to power all of those menu boards that are interactive You want those servers to live
1: in the restaurant itself menu boards the drive-through the point of sale all the kiosks you know all of the kitchen equipment is now all software driven so there's a lot of that and and there there's reasons for that you know performance you know we move things out performance is a big reason Mm -hmm. right data processing we just don't you know if you think about like a machine learning model right it may not uh, on your car it doesn't have time to send the raw LIDAR data back (laughs) to the data center, you know, and two seconds later, get like the signal to break, right? It needs to be very fast, very local. Other things are to handle- Oh, and
0: and by the way, in low connectivity, right? Right. That's the other bit of That's what I was
1: gonna say. The the other thing is to handle is disconnected state. So, Mm -hmm. you know, think of, we have a large client that runs tens of thousands of gas stations and, and convenience store outlets across the country. And at any given time, 10% 10% of them are offline, right? Kind Someone of sure. hit, you know, it was a wreck, hit the power pole, backhoe cut through the connectivity, you know, this lo- the local telco provider went down. They're always down and they have to be able to continue to transact business.
0: Or in, or in my case, like at my previous role as the chief of at GE, like aviation is a great example where these jet engines are fundamentally not connected when they're actually under use. So when you're flying a plane, you have a cars, but that's, Basically, not, no right. connectivity for all intents and some purposes, and you have to make real decisions like: is this engine okay to fly or not? So, same same to your point. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Performance disconnected. What about farming? Farming, you know, a lot of uh, tractors and, and other farm equipment. We worked a lot with a mining company that, you know, they all the mining equipment. They, you know, they would they mined sand of all things, um, which is apparently very important uh, to the economy and as they would mine the sand, it would be wet and they would have to dry it. And then they would, they would dry it through these gas powered furnaces. And it's like, well, we have to know how wet the sand is, you know, how much to turn on the furnace, how much gas are they using? Are we using too much and Mm -hmm. what the weight is coming on and off? All of these things were all instrumented up. And that's not something again, like you can do really do in the cloud.
0: And so, so it really just comes down to, simple physics and cost, I suppose, right? Which is like in cloud computing, high availability and sub-second response times are effectively nearly impossible or unfeasibly expensive to do these operations.
1: That's right. And, you know, they're also, the way we build systems in the cloud is somewhat still a a mirror of the way we built them on-prem. And, you know, we need to have a lower profile, smaller, these smaller devices tend to be much closer to the hardware. You know, we can't load a giant runtime a giant java runtime on some little device well i guess you know some of them these days you can they've gotten a lot more powerful but you may not want to right especially well, if you have real time you know any type of real time consideration mm-hmm. right where your the system has to respond in real time or if if it's delayed it's a failure right braking is an sure. example on a car yeah. right so If you break too late, you might as well not break at all. Right. Um,
0: (laughs) I'm not sure that's how the physics work out, but I, but I hear your point. Yeah. I I take your point. Okay. So we have these multiple layers of edge. And so in the setup, of course, I said, I think things are moving back to the edge, maybe you can tell me your perspective of where on the edge you think things are moving back to.
1: Well, I think that, you know, they're obviously moving to all of those different areas. I I think we have an opinion that we should move things as close to the central location as possible, but no closer. Right, to borrow mm-hmm. and you know, bastardize an einstein expression things to be as simple as possible but no simpler it's you know we should have them as, as centralized as possible but no more centralized i don't know if that made sense but
0: uh well i and i think like let me let me just throw out a few numbers here real quick like if you think about the world today remember back by the way before a before, small small digression here remember when crowdsourcing was a big deal sure And everyone's like, hey, we need to crowdsource everything. There's so much power in crowdsourcing. And Amazon Turk became like a giant part of that. And just like the idea that we'd crowdsource the answers to everything in the world. In some sense, it reminds me of that. Because today, in our pockets, we you know we have 7.26 billion smartphones. And each one of those smartphones is, you know, a thousand times faster, three orders of magnitude faster than a mid eighties supercomputer by Cray. Like so all of us have these things that are incredible incredibly powerful in our pocket. And again, just for perspective on on what that means, if you think about a USB C charger, just like a normal charger, it actually has more computing power than the best computers used to send astronauts to the moon. The AGCs, the Apollo Guidance computer. Like a charger <laughs> it's about as dumb as you can get these days, has more than what we sent to the moon. So again, we're sitting with incredible compute distributed across the world in people's phones effectively. And so, to me, it makes sort of natural sense of like, well, why aren't we using those things, right? Like, why aren't we taking advantage of that?
1: Yeah, and you know, like I said, there have been we've tried in the past, but and, and there are a lot of benefits around speed and computing power.
0: And and by the way, free computing power, right? Like, yeah, if you exactly. have your if you have your customers using their phone, you're not paying for the phone, you're not paying for the electricity, you're not paying for the compute, you're not doing it in the cloud. They're doing it for free for all that work for you, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's right, and you know, storage, similar, you know, data storage, similar thing, the ability to pre process data, you don't have to send all of it back and you know, that that's helpful. And so while those are all been benefit- working in disconnected state as well, from a network perspective, there are real challenges that have always been an impediment and, and really a barrier that have prevented it from being and, and those are one is you have to secure all those devices, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do, right, they become very, Instead of a data center with a firewall being the primary attack surface, you now have tens of thousands of devices connected to all kinds of random networks that each one is an attack surface, right? Well, and I
0: think to that point we're seeing the ramifications of that with botnets these days, right? Sure. Like the amount of the amount of infected devices, a stat that I have here is a few hundreds, a few hundred million devices are infected today and being leveraged through these botnets. Which creates massive, massive DDoS attacks when when leveraged in that way. There sure. are other ways to leverage them too,
1: but yeah. And you see, you know, you see fast food places having the, their menus hacked and, and those type of things. Mm-hmm. So security is a big aspect. Update is a big aspect, and that's mm-hmm. really a hard one. right? How do you keep these things patched up to date with latest software, uh, firmware, all of these different updates? You know that you have to make. That's a really difficult challenge, you know, just being able to track them. Like where are they and who's got what? You know, just the configuration management, right? Well, and it's especially
0: hard. hard when you think about like the reason we were pushing this back out to the edge to begin with was to take the advantage of the fact that we can do it faster and cheaper and more data in more real time, right? Well, that means you're using that device it means there's a model running on that device. And those models, we know have concept drift, we know how to be updated. So how do you even do that? You know, if you think about wind turbines that or farms or, you know, these remote locations that never have connectivity, it's not like a jet engine that has connectivity. Sometimes it never has connectivity. What do you do? How do you deal with that? So right. It's a big problem because they're making
1: decisions. Yeah, and I would say what has happened in the past or up to, to up till now is that these challenges and problems you know, like security and update outweighed any of the benefit. Mm. Right. And okay. so it just wasn't feasible. What has really happened, I think, lately that has started to change that equation is essentially these edge platforms have become cloudified. I know that's a, I don't know <laughs> if I can make up that, that, at, uh, verb or whatever. Let's see if it's but, trademarked. Hold on. Yeah. Cloudified. Um, but essentially, what I mean by that is the cloud providers themselves have started offering these platforms, right? That provide that do provide these functions and address a lot of these issues. So you have the, you know, Azure IoT and and uh, you know Google uh, has their IoT platform and their Anthos platform for more of that kind of retail function. You know, AWS has their Outposts for that kind of more retail function. Amazon has their outpost for that more retail function, and they also have their, you know, free Artos and, and all all of their uh, smaller device platform products. You know, there are Cloudflare, Akamai, you know, all of the big cloud providers. Amazon have have wavelength for for you know running things on the edge of the cell network. So now the cloud providers, like they essentially replace the data center because, like, well, we've got the data center economies of scale, we can manage it all for you. You can just consume it as you need it and don't have to build it all out. Mm -hmm. Well, I can offer that for all these different types of edge. And, and that is a very powerful offering. And I, I think not many people have taken advantage of that yet. And I, I think we're going to see a huge shift. Now, how far do you get away from the data center? That is, I think the question that led to all of this is, you know, we would still say you're going to see a you know, distribution of data and compute out from the data center out all the way to, you know, to these devices. Like we, we still believe like it's still a problem, even though the cloud providers, you know, have done a lot to solve it and solved it really well. It is still something you have to do to, you know, manage those updates and provision devices and update them over the air and keep them secure and patched and all that. And so we would still push things again as far back as you can, but no farther And my, my example. There's a the Tesla, right? Instead of mm-hmm. like having computers all over the engine and manifold and everything like there, they're all in the trunk, yeah. right? You know, they're like pushing it from the edge of the car to the trunk of the car. Sure. And so from the trunk of the car to the edge of the network, from the edge of the network, back to the data center, edge of the data center, edge of the data center, into the compute. Like let's put things, you know, as far back as it makes sense, but always knowing that some things are going to have to live somewhere across that spectrum.
0: Yeah. Now, i think that's really interesting um and by the way i think the other angle that we didn't talk about yet and I was, i'll just mention it briefly and then we'll go back to where you just were which is i think apple did a great job recently of tapping into exactly this edge compute that exists in some people's homes so for example at apple's home secure video um, this is something that i use personally it is e to e encrypted that is end is end-to-end encrypted which is private key encryption this is the gold standard encryption you say, "Well, that's great, but I lose all the benefits. I don't get like people recognition. I don't get like traffic, you know, pets walking through. I can't record stuff automatically. To record everything now." And the answer is like, "No, actually, what they do is they leverage the devices sitting in your own home. So your own device, in this case, Apple TV or iPad or iMac, whatever you set it up as, will do all the processing." So not only I get the benefit of not having to process my data and saving the cost there i get the additional benefit of having my data encrypted never leaving my home and being processed locally in a very secure and, and nice way which i think is a great example of showing the benefits that come when you start thinking about this problem yeah,
1: machine learning the machine learning use cases are the ones that are going to be i think the, the biggest beneficiaries of of the edge compute because so many models have such opportunity to drive so much functionality like in your example you know face facial pet recognition or whatever mm-hmm. that you just simply can't do or you can do by streaming all back to the data center but it's not feasible right it's it's yeah. too slow it's too much data for the data center to, to handle cost effectively with respect to the cost of the service but being able to process those those models out remotely. And you see this, like, you know, TensorFlow has, you know, their uh, JavaScript or, you know, to run, you know, models in browsers or or other small mobile platforms. And and so the ability to run these things way out uh, on the edge is kind of really from a machine learning and and AI perspective is a huge, huge opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's good. And let's, let's lean into that and talk about the next thing here, which is the challenges. So if you have the stuff running, let's take Tesla as the example. If it's running in the car, again, you have to run in the car because you can't stream data that fast. Maybe 5G solves some of that, but then it becomes expensive and I still doubt you can solve it. Because what if you're in somewhere without connectivity or you lose it for a second, to your point, you don't yeah. break it off. But
1: 5G especially, since I can't like keep 5G walking from one room <laughs> of my house in the middle of Dallas to the other. Fair enough. I won't yeah. mention my cell provider. <laughs>
0: Maybe Starlink is supposed to solve that. I, again, I just think in reality, like it just you're gonna have to leave it in the car. Realistically,
1: can't beat the speed of light.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. Um, although you know, free space connectivity, we'll, we'll ignore all the all the things about speed of light it does change it in different mediums. But anyway, the the point here is like you just it's gonna have to live there, no matter what. It's gonna have to live there. The challenge then becomes okay, how how do you even if we're gonna use it for models to the point and that's where a lot of the value comes. I agree with you on that point how are you gonna get the training data then? And this, I think, is one of the first nuances that, that's really worth digging into. And I think if it's just Tesla as the example again, one of the things they've had to develop again from the ground up over the past, call it you know, five, 10 years now almost, um, is really like how do they, they have all these cars on the road all the time. They have amazing training data in theory. The problem is none of that data gets uploaded by default. It's all being processed on the car. So when the data scientists say, hey, give me all the training data from all these cars, they look at you know their AWS or I don't actually know what cloud provider they use. The database has nothing because it all happened on the car. So so they had to develop a way to say, okay, well, I want to ping the fleet of cars and say, hey, check for your own data and see if you have any examples that look like this because I'm struggling with this scenario in real time. And so that they have a great blog post in their engineering blog. You can check it out that talks about how they start thinking about how do we query the entire fleet of cars and say, hey, give me any examples where you ran into scenario. And if, by the way, you run into it in the future, store that and then send it to me when you get a chance. So same with GE, for example, with aviation, like how do you get that? Well, we're selective about how do we choose which training data to send back to the cloud so we can retrain our models. Curious if you have any other thoughts around that.
1: No, that's a it's a really difficult problem, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, as you said, the more you push out, the, the less you get back. The less you get back, the less you have to, to, to train with or analyze. And so whether it's, you know, you hear like this digital twin idea, like, you know, we mm-hmm. create something that's got its digital twin in the cloud, like, that's really great in theory. And it, and it has a lot of appropriate use cases. But if you try to do it for everything, try to, you know, if the cell company tries to digital twin everybody's cell phone, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, we're going to have 7 billion yeah. digital twins, right. and Like, I'm going to be processing all the clicks of, of me fumbling around which app I want to start, right? You know, it's just not, it's not practical. And and so we are going to have to, that's like why I said, like push things out, some things out and then decide what things we, we send back. I think the, the Tesla paper is a really good way of doing it. You know, sampling is a really good way of doing it. Or I've even seen co- some companies like build essentially a model, let's say retail, like we have five, you know, retail facilities that are our models that handle, mm-hmm. you know, that we run real traffic through, but we gather everything from them because let's say they're l- local to the data center or, sure. or, you know, somewhere like that. But it is a, a general, a generally a hard problem. And I'd say like the cloud providers have solved a lot of the security provisioning and update. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be, you know, interesting to see what the next batch of problems are. That's obviously, it's one of them. I'm, I'm sure there will be others but again, I think they'll continue to will continue to overcome them and, and be able to get a lot more benefit from some of these uh, edge platforms.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right, and I do think that you basically do it in a world where you're building models to figure out what data you want to send back, so that you can train different models that are actually doing the inference in real time. And that ends up being part of the equation, probably for a lot of these people. The other thing that's interesting about if you think about client, if you go all the way back to the device itself, so for example, my you know Apple TV that does all this facial recognition, all our videos or your phone that's doing you know your face ID, et cetera, all local to the device, part of that means that you actually have to get into the hardware again and actually decide, well, what 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 am I actually going to provision and design in this device such that I can run these models? which is something that, again, cloud providers have abstracted away as a data scientist. I don't ever think about these things anymore. I basically just say, like, uh, provision me whatever is the latest, greatest GPU with the most memory available because I don't care. And I, if, it's, if it's too much, I can always downgrade. And if it's not enough, I'll wait for the next one to be released and I'll upgrade, you know. How, do, how, how was that addressed back in the day when everything was data centered? you had to buy the. Are there good best practices here that we can sort of pull forward into the edge compute world? I mean, are we going all the way back to hardware design? Are we expecting CIOs that choose your favorite retailer to figure out, like, hey, you're going to have to have 15 GPUs and you're going to have th- of this type and this much memory and this much hard drive. Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's where, the again, where it's some of the cloudification that I've now made it into a... By the way, while you were talking, I
0: Googled oh. it. It is a real word according to the internet. Okay, great. So you're good. Well,
1: We're going to, we, you know, the cloudification has led to that and a lot of the the platforms that the that the the big providers have address like you know so they have basically development and training and and all these other frameworks that are built you know that are provided as part of that right and so uh, again i think that's one of the unlock that some of the some of the cloud providers have started to have is, is, and, it. and you know, they, and now they'll have, they'll work with their own hardware providers. And so there will be some like, well, it's got to be compatible with this, you know, framework we've chosen for this cloud provider that, you know, or edge provider that we've chosen. And, and so there's still some of those compatibility issues, got it. you know, will exist, but uh, you know, again, it, it, it's going to be like, stay, stay within the lines. And there'll be plenty, I think there will be plenty of options right within those lines.
0: I see, yeah, that's fair. it's sort of like the switches back in the days, what sure. you're saying yeah. like those things like well, as long as these are compatible, you're good to go and you just kind of upgrade over time. I guess what I'm thinking about is like you know Tesla had this big massive recall so if you remember Tesla's been solving selling full self-driving option at least since inception basically right. uh, since the model S anyway, so for quite a long time, and the machines they thought would be able to do that they installed in the cars if you paid the I don't know how much it cost back then a couple thousand dollars probably. They'd install it, and you were good to go. Well, it turns out, when they released the most recent, uh, maybe last year, I think it was, actually not most recent, but I think roughly last year, the first full self-driving beta, they said, oh, actually, all those computers before some date, I don't remember the date, actually going to be recalled. We're going to replace the computers. They're not powerful enough. So they had these devices on the edge, in the cars in this case, that turned out not to be able to do what they needed them to do. Is that what's going to happen, do you think, long-term? Yeah, the the
1: hardware upgrade problem, you know, we've talked about, firmware upgrade software upgrade that's a problem like the hardware upgrade problem unfortunately i think it's no you know no shortcut there's no shortcut on that right uh you know a drone flying out to replace the hardware it's still has got to go out and replace it right it's it's still hardware and so i do think for those things there's there's always some physical maintenance function that That is necessary anyway. Like you you know, you put you put things in trucks to monitor the refrigerators. The trucks have to be serviced, right? And so, Mm -hmm. like it it is a business aspect. Like you have to include that kind of hardware update in the normal hardware, or you know, or asset update, whether it be tractors, cars, whatever. Phones are a little bit of a a, anomaly anomaly in that sense because clients
0: replace them for you.
1: Yes, exactly. And the challenge there is is less about upgraded and it's more about cutting people off mm-hmm. right it's like okay we're, we're only going to support you know three versions of old android and you know, sorry if you don't upgrade then it's Too just bad, not so going to work right or or what or yeah, no, by the way less function
0: by the way businesses have taken advantage of that to their benefit in some cases if you sure. think about adobe they used to sell the creative suite which i used to have actually i got up was in school and i kept it for a really long time i had a perpetual license so i was allowed to but then guess what when all the macs switched over they said too yeah, bad, so sad. We're not releasing that. You must now subscribe to our service.
1: doesn't run on Sierra.
0: That's exactly right. So now I was forced to switch over and, and couldn't take advantage of this thing I bought. So actually, in some cases for businesses, it actually does out to be quite good for
1: them. I agree. And although we've been talking about device, these are like way farther away from the data center. I think the one that doesn't often get talked about is this kind of retail edge, right? You know? you know, something that would go in factory grocery store or something like that, that's a, a larger footprint. That to me, there's a tremendous opportunity there. And and people don't often associate that with edge or think about it. But what it essentially does, you know, we always want to do, let's say, point of sale is a great advice. Let's do a cloud based point of sale, mm-hmm. right? For a restaurant. Sure. Well, that sounds great. But until the network goes down and you can't do anything, right? Uh, and right.
0: we've seen that with credit cards before right payment systems go down sometimes not often but sometimes and then these these stores restaurants whatever get hosed i mean what what are you going to do
1: inventory you know there's there's just a lot of things time tracking there's a lot of things that have to be local and so the the answer to that we work with a big venue provider they have games and point of sale and all these you know different assets running in their in their venues and so they had built a lot of specialized hardware and software big you know essentially compute clusters and storage clusters and they have to put these in all of the venues and keep them updated and it's it's a real significant effort and frankly it's not usually done very well they they get a lot of for example security issues through missing patches and, and and that kind of thing you know zero day exploits it's hard to go like well let's go update a thousand of these places well it's hard to do that on day zero sure and so you know again what the cloud providers is our offering is essentially the same experience that you would get in the cloud, mm-hmm. right? Like where it's entirely managed, entirely updated. It's a plug and go, plug this thing in, into your venue or retail establishment. And then you can use the same programming models, the same applications even sometimes to run locally. And a lot of times they handle like the, you know, those platforms. Offer services to handle the disconnected state, where like I can run locally and it will sync itself up. That's really splitting the baby, so to speak, in terms of getting the benefits of distributed in the restaurant, in the retail establishment versus in the cloud. And frankly, those systems are are relatively inexpensive. Got it. Right? And some well, open source. Well, that's so that's a there's a, a huge opportunity there. And then and then it's not to minimize the opportunity for the other types of edge but i think it's just one that people often forget about
0: and i think it's really good and I, I i'm glad to hear you say that there's a big opportunity because one of the things that i struggle with a little bit in thinking through how this plays out i remember hearing a lot of conversations between cios and cfos about moving to the cloud and the big benefit that arguably the biggest selling point that i ever heard i don't know if it's right or wrong but was oh you're going to move from this capex capital intensive model an opex model if we end up back in this world where we have to buy these provision these machines install them maintain them replace them have people who are available 24 7. what do we end up back where we started or what happens here like what what do we need to be having conversations with our cfos about
1: yeah it can definitely be a financial benefit in terms of a opex expense instead of a capex expense that's really important i think for franchisees like in, in restaurants for example that have a lot of franchisees or other other type of businesses that are franchised franchisees typically have to take the ownership of that uh, capex right Mm. and and being able to offer that to them somewhat easier in terms of getting them onboarded right without a lot of upfront capital outlay. the other thing that happens with those models is it's somewhat of a I don't know if it's an unintended benefit, but like, it's not something people often think about or talk about is the standardization. I mean, one of the biggest challenges with these franchise type models is if, if you have like, here's the vendor list, you know, franchise owner one, two, three, four, five, go buy off the vendor list. Well, right. that, you know, that probably ends up looking like five different deployments. Mm-hmm. And so that's five different things to test, five different configurations to manage. It can become a lot of work. But by being able to have that as an OPEX model that everyone can easily have installed sure. right away, now I only have one thing to test against and it can be a significant cost-saver and efficiency driver to get things out, deployed faster. Just because you've
0: decreased the, the combinatorics of the problem. Exactly.
1: Probably. Is it and the combinatorics get huge?
0: Sure. Yeah. These things grow exponentially for sure. So with that in mind, like this massive capital outlay, especially as we look down the barrel of a recession, maybe we're in a technical recession right now. As you think about it as a CIO in particular, now you're going back to this world where we have these massive capital outlays. Like, how is this gonna play out? I mean, how are you gonna even have that conversation with your CFO and CEO at this moment in time? Do you think that the economic conditions end up prolonging or postponing perhaps the transition, or do you think that the revenue, the opportunity of things like the secure video or self-driving or you know better point of sale, et cetera, is gonna end up pushing it through anyway, and, and it's better to get ahead of it if you're a CIO at this moment in time than wait?
1: Well, now you're asking me to be an economist, which I am not, so I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll be very careful. Well, I'm but asking I, you to I be a strategist. As yes, a, as a exactly. CIO,
0: as a strategist who has to live in this economic times, you don't have to predict there's a recession, assume there is. I right, that.
1: Right, sure. Well, I, I think in a lot of cases, some companies will push this out, right? Like it, we'll, let's don't make any changes. I think that's actually a mistake. I, I think if you look at the systems you're running and, and the, the goals you have, there are going to be some where you can benefit from some of these edge technologies and lower OPEX or increase revenue or other things to help with the economic downturn. And so I, I, I would encourage people, don't let it be an excuse not to it doesn't mean you have to, you know, it may not be that you find anything or maybe things that are very risky. So maybe we do hold them off. I'm not suggesting that you must do something, but I think there could be big opportunities. And so I I would encourage people to not just say, well, we can't do anything because there's a recession.
0: Well, I I think that's, that's exactly what I would say to people. I'd say like, look, don't, don't go shooting for the moon, maybe right this second. But on the other hand, we saw what happened with COVID. I mean, this was a microcosm of what we're going to see now. Guess who ended up winning in the retail space? The people who leaned into the technology early, who were already well positioned, no doubt. But Target with, you know, and Walmart, with Home Depot, Home Depot with their like curbside pickup, with understanding what the inventory in the store was, understanding how to do the logistics of that. That wasn't cheap or free or frankly easy, especially when everybody's suddenly at home. But they leaned into that and they have massive, massive tailwinds now coming out of that moment. So I'd say the same, which is like lean into it, frankly, even if it's uncomfortable. The other thing I wanna I wanna like pick your brain on in this domain is again, given that it's CapEx and companies enjoyed moving to OpEx, maybe they're reluctant to move back. Given the combinatorics of, like, if we let people choose all their own hardware again, it's going to be more complicated. Given that, historically, cloud providers have been able to get economies of scale that you can't, even if you have hundreds of locations, that's still nothing compared to what these cloud providers have. Do you imagine a world in which these cloud providers say, not only are we going to provide you infrastructure as a service and the code, et cetera, we're going to that all the way out to the edge, and maybe we deploy, we, we sell you, or provide you as a service, it's an outcome-oriented service, Here's the device you go install in your restaurant. Plug it in again, power and internet, and call yeah, it a day.
1: Well, they do that right today with the
0: actual hardware too. Yeah, though. the
1: actual hardware too. Not all. I mean, Google's platform, you know, for that, Anthos is, is software based, but they they partner with some third parties. Amazon's and Azure is actually a, a hardware based solution. Got it. Now most of the actual you know, that's in the, the retail like, now most from the you know from the provider edge, like that is all software because that runs sure. out at Akamai or the now the Yeah, Akamai is effectively yeah, providing exactly. you the
0: hardware in this case.
1: Now from the the actual end user device or edge, you know, smart device edge, your your camera or whatever, mm-hmm. that's going to have to be that, you know that's not going to be provided by the cloud provider now the software firmware you know that that runs on it may may be. and so you're gonna I think you're gonna have to find something that works with that that you know they have the hardware you know compatibility list just like Windows does sure. but I, I do think that over time yeah maybe maybe they get a little bit more vertical solutions where they start providing the cameras and things like that so it, it just depends that's why I always think of those things as different different types of edge different solution it just depends on on where you are as to to how much of the solution is going to be you know, uh, provided by by the cloud providers in that kind of CapEx model.
0: Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. And I, yeah, I, I suspect there's more standardization yet to come and more sol- vertical integrated solutions. These cloud providers constantly moving up stack. My guess is, in this particular case, they will actually move down stack a little bit too and just pick up some of those pieces that are currently fairly nascent and they haven't certainly done. Last question for you then, Jason, is, I mean that all sounds great right we have these models they're cheaper so customers are paying to upgrade them now they're they're running and not paying for electricity all all pure upside in some sense are there cases where we shouldn't be using these though there must be some downsides too. sure you
1: know my, what shouldn't we move And my answer to that is everything right and like just <laughs> don't try to move everything out there right you know let's take take some small steps on things that that uh are, are problems today that where we can get some real immediate benefit one of the big ones that is a little bit of a hot button for me is the reinventing the wheel with no more function. Right. And so so we had a client, I'll not mention their name and like, they wanted to, to build an AB testing framework using the edge, mm-hmm. right? Some of the edge functionality and I'm like, okay, well, what functionality they have an existing AB testing framework and like what functionality would this new one have? It's like, Oh, it'd do the same thing, but it'd just do it on the edge. Like, and I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. Like, I mean, in, in in that case, it's like, what problem are we, you know, trying to solve? Or is this just a science experiment to see if we can do the same thing with a different technology? And, and I think a lot of times with, with new technology, there is kind of that rush to do an science experiment, right? Sure. Can do, like, can we do the same thing with new technology? Why would you want to do that, right? If this works. Why are you spending money on that? Especially back to your economic downturn question. So instead, I'd look for unsolved problems. Understand. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. And yeah, it's not retail therapy, right? (laughs) I know CEIs love doing the latest and greatest and they want to play with it. And I don't blame them because I want to play with it too, but maybe not the right thing to do in this case. Sure. Awesome. Well, as always, Jason, thank you so much for today. Thanks for the conversation. Again, I think the headline for me is stuff used to live on-prem in in her office here. It moved to the cloud, but not really not fully there's always this intermediary layer of this edge and what we need to remember is that when people hear it say edge we should get more clear on what that really means which edge we're really talking about which layer of that stack we're really talking about and inevitably if you think all the way down to device in particular the big benefits are probably going to come from the machine learning the analytics of this being able to process in effectively near real time cheaper faster than you could ever do by pumping data back to the cloud especially in compute heavy scenarios and data heavy scenarios like self driving or video streaming or you know really combined cycle turbines or other jet engines in the low connectivity environments as well
1: with that any closing thoughts I think that's all correct and I would just say also that you know as we look at these things let's like make sure that we're we're solving problems there are going to be additional barriers that come up like like the what data do we send back question and so let's We'll have to work through those and continue to like be a little bit persistent and work through some of those so that we can can actually realize some of the value.
0: Yeah, it's a great call. The stuff is the hard. It's nascent. It's new, and it's going to be hard. So so let's start thinking through that and having conversations around it, too. Well, thank you all for listening. For those who would like to learn more, please visit the Insights page at com. Again, thank you, and I hope you'll join us next time.